Hey, after you finish listening to today's podcast, if you're looking for even more great content from NPR, check out the new video series from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. See behind the scenes at NPR's news quiz show. Watch them at npr.org under the Wait, Wait tab. Today, we are re-airing one of our favorite episodes. It involves pasta. It involves Italy. It originally aired in 2012. You know how we talk a lot around here about the crisis in Europe? It's not quite right, to put it that way. There's not a crisis in Europe because there are two Europes. One is in crisis and the other one is bailing the first one out. Well, let's take the first one. You know this well. We go over and over this. They're the countries with the debts. They're the countries that don't pay their taxes with inefficiencies. They're the corrupt countries. Sometimes all three problems are in one place. I'm thinking of Greece. Portugal, Spain, Ireland. And then there are the countries with the stronger economies, the big industrial exporters, the very efficient tax collection. We're talking about Germany, the Netherlands, Finland. Now, this dynamic, the strong and the weak, this is not just in the continent of Europe. It exists in one country. Italy has the exact same division. There's northern Italy. They have Milan, which is this great export city. There's all these job opportunities. It's a very busy, exciting place. It actually feels more like Germany than it does like Sicily. But then there's southern Italy with much less industry than up top. Unemployment is high. There's a lot of corruption. It's it's closer economically to Greece. And like Greece, they're basically supported by the taxpayers up north. So one Italy two very different economies. And if you could somehow solve this problem, if you could somehow bridge this gap, then it would go a long way toward understanding and perhaps even finding solutions to this whole European problem we were talking about. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Zoe Chase. And today we have a solution. We have one company, a company that you probably know very well because it makes a product that you probably have on your kitchen shelf right now. This is Barilla Pasta. It's that blue box. And Barilla is a big pasta company in Italy. It looked at this economic divide that we're talking about and figured out a way to bridge it. Today, the story of one factory. Well, it's, it's really a story of one man who took a failing pasta plant in the south of Italy and made it just as successful as the ones in the north. First, let's look at what a successful industrial economy looks like. We started our trip up in the north of Italy, in Parma, a beautiful, beautiful town, home to prosciutto and these beautiful gold fields of durum wheat. And this is where Barilla Pasta started and where they still have their big flagship plant. It's actually the largest pasta factory in the world. And as we were driving to it on the outskirts of town... It was amazing because it's this big building that juts up above the fields and it's painted like a big blue Barilla pasta box. Inside, it is enormous. They, they tell us it's the size of something like 100 soccer fields. And there's all these buttons and pipes and guys behind plexiglass and white coats staring at these complex computer programs. It, it kind of looks like how I imagine a nuclear power plant would look, except... There are these waterfalls of linguine just pouring over the stainless steel machines. The plant manager, Claudio Dallagiancoma, he showed us around. Five lines for produce short pasta, pasta like penne and uh, tortiglioni. There were these piles of shells on the floor. Like, I used to eat those every night for dinner with just butter on top. Four lines for produce uh, long pasta, pasta like uh, spaghetti and bavette. But the most popular pasta by far is this one. 
In this moment, we are packaging the spaghetti number five. Spaghetti number five. It's the spaghetti that you would think about if you thought about spaghetti at all. <laughs> Those deep blue pencil boxes of spaghetti, they whip by on a conveyor belt one after another. It is amazing how much pasta they make. In one hour, this single line makes more than five tons of spaghetti. And even more amazing, the whole process, the whole big long line of spaghetti production is managed by one guy. Pasta, as you probably know, is a cheap product. And the way Barilla makes money is by making a lot of pasta quickly. Hence the big, long machine. Exactly. And there's this one guy that keeps the pasta line moving. And it is very important that this guy shows up. He's important, the man. The man is absolutely very, very important. The man running the spaghetti line is so important. And the guy who does the linguine and the person who does those little bow tie pastas If even a few workers don't show up for work, it can shut down an entire section of the factory. That's, in fact, what happened at another Barilla pasta factory, down south in the heel of Italy, 400 miles south of here. We took the train down to Foggia. It's this long train ride. And as you head south, you can start to feel it's different. There's this a different vibe. Like, as you're going on this train, you look out the window and there's beach after beach and people sitting on the beach and swimming. It was a work day. We were going to a pasta plant, but you could feel things were slowing down. It was different. The plant in Foggia is also on the outskirts of town. It's a little bit more of an industrial section than it was up north in Parma. And when we go in, the first thing we see is this giant poster board. It's, it's up on an easel, and there's a number on this chart. And the number is the absentee rate. It tells you how many people are actually showing up to make the pasta. And the reason that's the first thing you see when you walk in is that for many years, this plant had a huge problem. Ten years ago, the plant in Foggia had a very high absentee rate. It was around 10 percent, which is basically double of the absentee rate of the plant we visited up north. The Foggia plant was not producing their allotment of farfalla and penne pasta. Then a new man joined the Foggia plant. His name is Nicola Calandrea. He's the hero of our tale. And he came in to run this plant. He's from southern Italy. He's from Puglia, actually, the region where the plant is located. And when Calandrea took this job... He knew. In fact, everyone knew at Brilla. This plant was dysfunctional. We met Calandrea. He showed us around. He's this jumpy, skinny, intense guy. He's barely taken up the time to set up his office. The only thing in there pretty much is pasta. There's bags of pasta everywhere. This is uh, Gold Selection Chef Pasta. There's a picture of the Barilla company founder on the wall, and it's clear. This is a man who loves his work. He's dressed in this white coat that all the plant managers are in, and he's constantly reaching into his pocket, answering his cell phone, jumping up, leaving the room, then rushing back in to sit down with us. Back when he first took this job eight years ago, he remembers that perfectly healthy workers at the plant seemed like they were fine, you know, but then all of a sudden they needed some time off. They uh, had no problem to get ill, to... To get sick. To get sick in every way. And Calandrea started to detect a pattern. People would call in sick more often on certain days, say every Friday or every Monday. Or during football matches. Or around uh, important holidays. 
Remember, in these plants, one guy is running an entire line of capellini. You can get another worker to fill in or someone to back up the backup, but so many people were calling in sick. Because the number of people was not enough to produce or pack pasta, and we had to stop. And this, unfortunately, happened uh, with a certain frequency. It costs a lot of money to run a pasta plant that's not actually producing pasta. And the bosses in the north up at the Parma plant, they noticed that the south had this problem. And finally, they'd had enough. They sent one of their big managers, Carlo Carteri, down from the headquarters. And Carteri remembers gathering all the workers together on the floor of the plant and delivering a simple but brutal message. Okay, guy, if you don't want to work, there is no problem. I take this line in a place where people want to work more than you. In other words, Barilla will shut down this plant and move it out of southern Italy. If you guys would rather watch soccer than make pasta? This place, now, probably in the future, will disappear. And everyone in the plant heard this for exactly what it was, a threat to shut down the entire plant. And it wasn't an idle threat because this had happened over and over again in southern Italy. Plants had shut down and pulled out, saying it was too hard to compete when your workforce didn't seem to care. I know that sounds harsh, right? But we talked to the union guy who represents the workers in the Brilla plant down here, and they knew there was a problem. Lorenzo di Varsavia, he, he spoke to us through an interpreter. Allora, noi a livello politico, sindacale, abbiamo... Yeah, we know it was serious because we had previous experience as union with other companies. They were having like 20% rate of absentees, always in the food chain sector. And they, they invested for a while and then at the end they shut down. Calandrea, the plant manager, he was facing a problem that no one had been able to solve. A problem that had been around for really 150 years. Ever since Italy became one country in the 19th century, the North has outproduced and outshone the South. Now, there is a superficial take on this, and you hear it a lot when you travel through Italy. And the idea is that life is really so good in southern Italy. It's so beautiful. The food is delicious. The beaches are fabulous. Why would anyone want to come to work? But there are other theories. Andrea Hino, he's an economist at the University of Bologna that is in the north of Italy. I'm just going to point that out. But he looked at this problem with businesses and manufacturing in the south. And Barilla is far from the only company that had scores of workers call in sick every time there's a soccer game. The differences between the south and the north have been studied in Italy at least since the beginning of the Italian nation in the middle of the 19th century. So probably the most studied topic in Italy. And Ihino has done his own studies. And, and by the way, he says the weather has nothing to do with the differences between the north and the south. One of the big patterns he did find is that slacking at work depends a lot on the action of your coworkers. If other people are calling in sick, you are more likely to do so yourself. If other people are showing up working hard, you are more likely to do so. It's peer pressure, essentially. But he also talked about a theory by the political scientist Robert Putnam. And this theory puts the blame for the differences in the Italian economy way back in the Middle Ages. So the argument goes like this. Southern Italy basically had a rough few centuries after the Middle Ages. They were dominated by foreign powers. There were all these invaders. 
and therefore in those regions people think that the state is an enemy that the, the that, that the only thing that matters is the family and the close kin and uh, and uh, the public good uh, uh, basically nobody wants to contribute to public good in other words in this theory southern italians basically have a problem with authority government leaders bosses all of them not to be trusted there's a culture there of looking out for yourself and looking out for your family Northern Italians have a different culture because they have a different history. Their history is basically one of these benevolent city-states. We're talking about Venice and Tuscany. And basically places like this, the government was more local. And so their experience of the Middle Ages and after was that authority was basically okay. Everybody was uh, more likely to feel the state as a friend because it was uh, close to every individual. There you see much more civicness. So this is what Calandrea was up against at the pasta plant, these medieval habits that are still around. Some of the worst workers were only out for themselves. There wasn't the kind of respect for authority. And the boss of Barilla was threatening to close down the entire operation. So Calandrea, he's the hero in this story, he had to act. And to save this factory, he had to change the culture. I don't think that uh, people born in a, a certain uh, geographical area uh, is condemned to do good things or bad things. Your geography is not your destiny. This is what Calandrea believed. There was something else that made Calandrea unique. He is uh, a trained food scientist. He didn't sort of come out of the managerial ranks. He came out of actually formulating the pasta. And like any good scientist, he did a lot of research about this problem. He told us he talked to psychiatrists and economists about the, the problems in the South, about the psychology of motivation. And it's funny because when he, he, he talked about it, he still used chemical terminology. You know, to him, it was sort of an equation with enzymes and substrates. One of the substrates over which absenteeism lives is the anonymous condition. One of the substrates over which absenteeism lives is the anonymous condition. I love that. Calendar says people were skipping work because they thought nobody noticed. So... He began his attack with this in mind. The first thing he did was sit down and meet with each worker who was chronically absent. One day, two days, every week. He's like, hi, I noticed that you're absent. The workers said, well, I have a note from my doctor. I can account for all my absences. And this is traditional in Italy. If you're calling in sick, you must provide a note from your doctor. And all of Calandrea's absentee workers had these notes. So the next step. I tried to fight against him with uh, traditional uh, weapons. Uh, we call it visita fiscali. Visita fiscali. Our translator Giovanni jumped in to explain this term. In Italy, when you are on sick leave, the state can send some uh, state doctor to check on you to your house to see if you are really sick. This is a job? It's called fiscal doctor. They call him and they say, you have to go to check today for, for us, this if it's like, if he's really sick. And so if you have more of this kind of checkups to people, check on people, you will have less people calling fake sick. You know? The fiscal doctor. I know. The fiscal doctor is deeply inefficient. Like, that is a crazy workaround. So many people are faking their illness 
that this position is institutionalized. Like, why not just fire the guy who's sick all the time? You clearly are not familiar with Italy. You cannot even ask that question here because Italian labor laws are so strict. It is notoriously hard, almost impossible to get fired in Italy. We are speaking of people that reached 40% of absenteeism. 30% of absentees. No, wait, 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 wait. They were able to just keep working? Uh, yes, because they were very precise in their calculations. The workers knew Italian labor laws as well as the managers, and they were sick as much as the law allowed. They had their doctor's notes, and when the Visita Fiscali, the fiscal doctor, went to their house to check on them and make sure they were actually sick, they knew there were only certain hours that the doctors were allowed to come. So the fiscal doctor, he's he's supposed to be the enforcer, but he was not allowed to come on weekends, and he couldn't come at night. So these workers, Calandria said, would be sure to be at home in these limited hours when they knew the fiscal doctor might show up. So Calandrea plays his next card, and this is a major break with tradition. He sent his own doctor to the workers' houses to check up on them, not the fiscal doctor. And this guy would show up on the weekends. And it was a big surprise to to hear a knock at the door and he said the doctor... Think about what this means for a minute. Italy's absenteeism problem is so endemic that there is a job where somebody goes around to check and see if people are really sick. And yet this job is so easily rigged that you need to come up with another check on the doctors who check up on the doctors who are signing the notes. Calandrea was angry at the workers who were skipping work. But after this whole process with the doctors upon doctors, he began to realize This system with the doctors, this is anonymous too, and in a much more dangerous type of way. The doctors didn't think that anyone knew that they were signing the same notes over and over, vouching for the sickness of the same Barilla workers. Some doctors signed a lot of uh, false illness. So Calandrea decided enough with the anonymity. Everyone was now going to know exactly what was going on. And this this was his master stroke. He sent a letter. The letter was signed by the plant director, by me. But this wasn't just any letter. This was a letter that laid all the facts on the table. Every letter had exactly how many absences each worker had, one day, two days, every week, simply noting, not accusing anyone, but noting the frequency and the regularity. But it's who got the letter. That is the trick. The doctor of the, of the person. And this letter also went to the people who regulate the doctors in Italy. And the organization of doctors. So now... Everyone knew what was going on at the Barilla plant. Everyone knew exactly who was slacking, how much, and which doctors had signed which notes. This letter to the doctor caused um, some reaction. So even though you probably didn't accuse them, you just noticed it. We noticed the doctor, and the doctor has all these letters. We balanced the, the word by word, comma by comma, because uh, we wanted only to inform, to give uh, information, to interrupt the anonymously, the, the, the anonymato, come, come si yeah. dice, um, around this problem. By this time, everyone at the plant had now heard about what was happening. 
the surprise doctor's visits, these letters, the workers realized that something had changed. So they got really scared. They were afraid of what was going on. Meet Mikel Benetze, speaking through our translator, of course. He's a dedicated farfalla maker. And he works at the plant in Foggia under Calandrea. Benetze says he was rarely absent. He was not the problem. But at this point, you couldn't not notice. The anonymousness had been broken. There were these threats that the plant was going to close. And people were starting to talk to each other about each other. We look at each other and we know that we have, we have to put some pressure on that other person, like to say, oh, you should come to work. And regularly at this point, Calandrea is posting the absentee rates for the Foggia plants. So that everyone knew what the bottom line was. And Calandrea remembers the moment when he realized that the culture had shifted. It was an episode with one of the workers. A worker that was about to become infamous in the small town around the plant, around the Brilla plant. In fact, when we bring up this man's name, people laugh and they shake their heads. Marco Tutti. Marco Tutti. The farfalla maker Benizi says the story of Marco Tutti started out innocently enough. He asked for a holiday, but the supervisor refused him because they needed him to work. So he said, at that point, he called in sick. With the doctor's note, of course. But Marco Tutti was not sick. Marco Tutti was playing soccer for a big local soccer team. Marco Tutti put on his team jersey, a team jersey that we understand, that we hear, actually had the Barilla logo on it because they were the sponsor of the team. And then Marco Tutti made his big mistake. What was not good for him was that he went to play, but he also scored the goal, so he couldn't be missed on the paper. (laughs) Tutti's achievement was written about in the newspaper. And what happened was... His fellow workers, instead of protecting him, they took the paper and they brought it to the boss, to the plant manager, Calandrea. They ratted Marco Tutti out. Yes, because the sensitivity of people was increasing. They knew that the behavior of one of us could compromise the life of everyone. This was a carrot-and-stick approach, Calandrea hastens to say. We should probably mention that. He also threw parties for the families of the workers. He got to know their families better. And he created these working groups through the factory that still exists today where workers make policy decisions and keep track of absenteeism themselves. And it's amazing because Calandrea probably didn't think of this at the time, but he was actually sort of unraveling centuries of history in southern Italy. I mean, he was showing them that an authority figure, a boss, could be benevolent, could throw parties, could care about the family. But he was also showing that peer pressure works both ways, that peers can actually encourage people to show up for work, to actually do their jobs. And now that big sign at the front entrance to the Brilla Pasta plant, now that sign tells the whole story. The absentee rate has dropped from 10 percent to 4 percent in just a couple of years. And so at the end of this story, we looked at Calandrea like, look what you've done. You have solved this problem that so many people say is impossible to solve. We thought he would take a moment to celebrate that, to show a little pride. 
but he just says there's more to do. As you know, when you are so proud of something, uh, you are uh, relaxing uh, and uh, you, uh, you risk to, <laughs> to lose your position. Calandrea jumps up, back to work. And so we sat there in his office waiting for him as he was checking on some problem or another. And we were talking, we were saying, like, is there some lesson here? Is this some sort of model for Italy? Because everyone we talked to in the country, they, they spoke about this north-south divide. Like it was something in their DNA. Like it was something they could never change. That, that you know, what, whatever happened in the Middle Ages or, you know, maybe all the sunshine, whatever it was, people basically threw up their hands and said, ah, the south's going to be the south, the north's going to be the north. We told the economist Andrea Ejino about the story of Barilla Pasta, and he said, yeah, this makes sense. Peer pressure is very powerful. When he studied this, he found that southern workers who get transferred up north in their company, their productivity increases. They take less sick leave. There are clearly lessons for the European continent in the story of what happened at Barilla. But Ejino did also point out that this is not a quick fix. This is an incredibly difficult problem to solve. What southern Italy really needs is not just to keep its pasta plants open, but it needs more factories, more businesses to move in. And think about it. If, if you're a factory owner thinking of putting a factory somewhere in Italy, it's hard not to notice how much effort and how many years it took for this one plant to do something that, frankly, is taken for granted in a lot of places. Workers that actually show up for work. Of course, please let us know what you thought of the show today. Send us an email, planetmoney at npr.org, or find us Facebook, Twitter, and all of that. Before we go, though, I do want to thank DeLeo Luca. He set up the interviews for us at Barilla. He's their communications manager, and we are so grateful. And once again, thanks to our interpreter, Giovanni Grazzi. He was of enormous value and help in southern Italy. We love him. I'm Robert Smith. I'm Zoe Chase. Thanks for listening.